Welcome to Books and Becoming, the podcast where we explore the transformative power of literature. I'm Mariah. And I'm Jennifer. Your book-loving hosts. In each episode, we'll journey through the pages of a new book, uncovering life lessons and sharing personal stories that resonate with the text. So grab your favorite reading spot and your favorite beverage, and let's dive into today's book. Well, hey, guys. It's been a long time coming, but sorry, I had to put some Taylor Swift in there. Of course. I really Not too much, because then we'll have to pay, like, massive licensing. (laughs) No joke. But for all my girlies and and guys, they know I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, I do feel like, though, we have been trying to do this and like everything has been trying to stop us from doing this oh yes like Mm -hmm. mystery illnesses Mm -hmm. a lot going on you know with work just like personally a lot going on as well like in both of our lives and so I feel like everything has stopped tried to stop us from getting here Mm -hmm. but we will not be thwarted yes we are here And I'm so excited because this book um, was a book that Jen and I kind of accidentally came across Mm -hmm. probably what, how many months ago? Maybe September. September sounds right. I think it's September. That's how September just sounds good for some reason. Yeah. We'll just go with that then. Yeah. We heard it in September. Um, And really it was our, our boss wanted us to um, attend. uh, Jen and I both work in the real estate world. And in the operations side of things. And our boss wanted us to attend um, this conference virtually that was going to go over just a lot of like real estate stuff that we could use in our everyday work. And one of the, actually, he was the keynote speaker, correct? Mm, he was. So the keynote speaker was Sean Aker, who is the author of the book that we're covering. And it was so good. Yes, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. We were watching it virtually and then also like sending each other chat messages because we, so we work remotely and we use Google chat a lot to communicate for work. And we were just sending each other chat messages like, holy crap, this guy is so good. This stuff is so good. Which is funny because when you hear either the happiness advantage or positive psychology, it sounds a little mumbo jumbo, like, to be honest, like you kind of feel mm-hmm. like, oh, it doesn't really sound like real science. That's not real. Yeah. It's just, it can't be real. Right. We, we, there's science does other things and study happiness. Um, but it was so good because so much of what he's saying in the book and, and what he was saying in his um, talk is, is rooted in science and it has mm-hmm. been backed by tons of studies. So it, it has a lot of leverage and weight when it comes, when he really comes to start talking about some of the stuff. So I'm really excited that we are covering this. It kind of feels like this is, I don't know, just who in Jen, like who Jen and I try to be Mm -hmm. on a daily basis in our like personal lives and professional lives. Um, Although we don't do it perfectly every single day. We just, not at all. No. But this but is we try really we try. hard. Yes, we try really hard. So I'm so excited to be covering this. Um, the way the book is laid out, it's kind of, it's put into three different parts. Um, and, you know, just to preface everything, like we are going to try to cover as much as we can. 
Um, but with this book specifically, and I guess any book, is that we just can't cover every single detail. And there's a lot of just things that he references and studies that we just can't possibly cover all on this podcast. So I highly recommend that you go and buy the book and you either read it or you listen to the audio. Um, but it is split up into three different parts. So part one and then part two and part three. And part one just talks about positive psychology at work. Part two is the actual seven seven principles that he goes over for the happiness advantage. And then part three is titled The Ripple Effect, which goes to which talks about spreading the happiness advantage at work, at home, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I think you you hit something earlier when you said that it's something that you and I try to portray on a daily basis. So I feel like for me, reading the book was very validating. <laughs> very like, yes, okay. So I I've believed some of this stuff for a long time, but now there's like science to back it up that like I'm not just making this up. Yes. This is this is real. This is true, you know? Yes. So that was super, super validating. And really, if you I feel like if you could sum up the premise of the whole book in like one phrase. It's basically how most people think that, you know, oh, if I'm successful, I'll be happy. Or if I reach this goal, I'll be happy. Yes. But really what he says is you actually have to be happy first and then success will follow. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you focus first on being happy and how you can be happy, the success comes so much easier. Yes. Right. Yeah. And which is really flies in the face of what you hear all the time is you just got to grind. You just got to work really hard and you can't possibly be happy in the grinding process. And then when you make a certain amount of money, when you reach a certain level of fitness, when you've bought all Mm -hmm. the investment properties, whatever it is that you're working towards, then you will be happy. But how many people have you talked to that have reached their goal and they're still not happy? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it in celebrities all the time. Yeah. And even just like, you know, friends that I know who thought that they'd be happy when they made a certain amount of money and then they made that money and then they're like, it, I'm not happy. And mm-hmm. or the bar moves. Um, when we, Will and I, um, my husband are fan or Florida Gator fans. Um, and there was a documentary that came out um, about Urban Meyer. And he basically, he there's one part in the documentary where he talked about how they had just won the national championship and he was like literally just won it. And they walked into the locker room. He celebrated a little bit with the, with the guys. And then he went into his office and immediately started texting recruits for the next year. And he said that like, it, like he had already moved on. He didn't even mm. get to to like it, like it didn't bring him happiness like he thought it would he was already he already had moved the bar and so at what yeah. point you know do we keep moving the bar and we just never get there and so this book really talks about how it is indeed quite possible to be happy in the process of working towards whatever it is that you're working towards either professionally personally in whatever manner like it you can be happy in the now It's Mm -hmm. not just, I'll be happy when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that is a good segue into like, when you start going into the principles, he's really giving you tools and and telling you exactly how to do that, which 
I personally love because it drives me crazy when I will read something that's like, oh, well, you just got to do this. And it's like, okay, but how? Like, how do I do that? And I love that he actually tells you how, which is awesome. Um, now, a lot of it is, I mean, because if you look at, right, the title is The Happiness Advantage, but the tagline is The Seven Principles That Fuel Success and Performance at Work. So most of his tidbits and his principles are based around a work environment. But I do think that a lot of this can be applied in really any environment, whether that's, you know, um, a community group that you're involved in, whether it's within your own home, whether it's within, you know, relationships with friends and family members. I really do think that it can apply across the board. Absolutely. It's not just a work thing. It's a person. And there's actually a lot of times. So as as we keep going through the principles, um, there are times I wrote down like, for moms or, or for my son, right. They were just principles. And I'm like, was thinking even just past being in a work environment. These are just things I'm like, as a mom, this is what I want to do for my family. This is what I love for us to have. So we can just go ahead and jump into the first principle, which we've already kind of been chatting about, which is Mm -hmm. the happiness advantage, which is principle one. And the tagline with that chapter is how happiness gives your brain and your organization, the competitive edge. Mm -hmm. And one, um, thing that I did underline on that first page was when we are happy, when our mindset and mood are positive, we are smarter, more motivated, and thus more successful. Happiness is a center and success revolves around it. The ruling powers continue to tell us that if we just put our nose to the grindstone and work hard now, we will be successful and therefore happier in some distant future. As we work towards our goals and happiness, as we work towards our goals, happiness is either irrelevant or an easily dispensable luxury or a reward only to be won after a lifetime of toil. Even some treat it as a weakness, a sign that we're not working hard enough. Every time we fall for this misguided creed, we undercut not only our mental and emotional well-being, but also our chance at success and achievement. Bam. Bam. <laughs> It really, it does hit you hard because how many times growing up, whether maybe someone said it to you, like, like just flat out like that, or maybe you've just like insinuated through, you know, conversation or your work environment or your school environment that like, you can't be happy as you are working towards this really lofty goal that you might mm-hmm. have, right? You can't be happy and be an undergraduate student because there's so many tests and there's so many things and you either have to be happy and get really bad grades and, you know, almost flunk out of college or barely make it, or you're not happy, but you get really good grades and you finish top of your class. But it feels like so many times they tell us there is nothing in the middle. Right. Right. No, it's true. And I think, um, you know, when we focus on really, Instead of all this external stuff, when we take, we internalize it and we focus more on shifting our mindset and our mood, which are really, if you think about it, the, the very, very few things that we even do have control over, you know, it, it, um, it changes everything and it makes the things that are external at least easier to deal with. You know, um, I mean, it's not going to change everything, but it it can definitely make it 
better to, to process and to be involved in. Yeah, completely agree. And I love the, um, the scientific way that they've actually described happiness in the book and they describe it as human flourishing. And so mm. that's what they describe happiness. And it, it's a Greek word. Um, I'm not going to say it because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say it right. I'm not going to do that right now. But if you have the book, it's page 40 and you can go look it up <laughs> um, and you can say it. But it basically translates to human flourishing which I thought was just the most beautiful picture of what happiness is. Cause I think happiness think people, people think happiness is a feeling or they think it is an event or they think it is something just super specific that is only there for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. human flourishing really gives it like a more robust picture of just like how happiness is more than just a feeling happiness is more than just I don't know like getting what you want or buying what you want happiness Mm -hmm. is your whole body mind soul and spirit flourishing right and that can also mean different things to different people right um like what could be flourishing for someone you know in in the western world would be totally different you know for people on the other side of the world right now no no and and the principles in here aren't, aren't hard to do. Like it, no. it's, and I will say he does talk about a lot, how there are some people in life who genetically are just more apt to be positive. And there's some people who aren't, and you can say maybe it was because of the way they grew up genetics, whatever it may be. But the amazing news is that this can be done for everyone. Mm-hmm. So no matter, cause you know, a lot of people will say, well, this is just how I am. It's easy for you to be positive and happy because you're a positive and happy person, but I'm not a positive, happy person. So it's easy for you to say, but not for me. It which is true. You could be not a positive and happy person, but the great news is that you can be with work. Yes. Yes. It's a skill. It's not something that you're just like, it's not like a talent that you're just born with and you either have it or you don't. It's a skill that you can create and work on and get better at. Absolutely. And I loved, I think it's page 46, if you're following along it. And one of the one of the um, tools that he gives us is priming your brain for happiness. And this could look different for everyone. So when you're priming somebody, um, yourself, a group, a, tr- a control group, whenever you're doing an experiment, you are trying to get them to feel a certain way or think something. So when you're priming yourself for happiness, it can look different and it doesn't have to be crazy. Like it could be listening to your favorite song first thing in the morning. It could be going to work out. It could be going for a walk around the neighborhood. It could be calling someone you love. And those are all things that you are like helping you prime your, your mind to scan for positive things and boost your mood. So for example, I love listening to music. So one way for me that I prime myself in the mornings to be more positive and happy is I just listen to songs I love. And then I do mm-hmm. like a mini dance party in the bathroom while I'm doing my makeup. Do I want to do a dance party every single morning? Absolutely not. There are <laughs> definitely, there are mornings that I wake up and I'm like really tired. I have so much to do. And like the last thing I want to do is like spend energy dancing. 
but it always puts me in a much better mood. And so they talk about an experiment where um, they gave doctors, they had different doctors, different groups, and they were, they primed one group of doctors to have a positive mood and they left the other group to be neutral. So it, they didn't prime them to be positive. They didn't prime them to be negative. They just left them as they were. And how they primed the doctors to be more positive is they actually gave them a piece of candy. Now the okay. doctors couldn't even eat the candy because <laughs> they were scared <laughs> it was going to affect the experiment results, but they gave them a piece of candy. And just by giving the simple act of giving them a candy, they performed at diagnosing patients more accurately and faster than the other group that was left to just be neutral by mm. a piece of candy. Amazing. So one of the things that I really loved and one of the things that I highlighted was on page actually 49. And um, he says that in addition, in addition, excuse me, to broadening our intellectual and creative capacities, Positive emotions also provide a swift antidote to physical stress and anxiety, what psychologists mm-hmm. call the undoing effect. That was that was a big deal for me. Um, so like in the middle of feeling physical stress and anxiety, you know, having these positive emotions can undo that. I mean, that's phenomenal. It's I like, why don't more people many know people about don't, this? Yeah, because yeah. we don't, we don't know. We don't know about it. We don't. Well, think, I mean, it, how we are bringing it know? to the people. Like yes. we are going to save the world. So you're welcome. <laughs> no, you should probably not say you're welcome yet because I don't know how this episode's going to turn out. But there you go. It, I mean, really though, it's it's I it's funny that you say that um, because Will and I were talking about that last night, and he was like this really feels like more, like, I feel like more people should know about like positive psychology and like how it not only one, it just makes you a, a human flourishing, right. In every single way, but also it, it literally can increase like your bottom line for your company. Like it could, Mm -hmm. like it could increase productivity per person. It could increase productivity for the entire company. So it's like, why aren't more people doing this? Why are our work environments so unhappy, right? Like, right. like, why are we, there's a part later on in the book and I can't remember which principle it's in, but he talks about how there was an, um, a survey that went out and said, if you're at work and if you um, were FaceTiming like your child really quickly, or if you're watching a funny video on YouTube during your break and your boss walked in or a coworker saw you, you would feel embarrassed or ashamed. And like, it was something astounding. It was like 97% of people said that they would feel that way. Mm -hmm. And my question was like, but why? You know, if you're like taking a break to mentally help help you re-engage into your work, because maybe you just finished a really long project, or maybe it's just been a really hard day and FaceTiming your child for five minutes or watching a funny YouTube video or, you know, laughing or chatting with a coworker helps you to mentally take a moment from like all the hard stuff going on and then regather yourself together and be able to go into your work fully. Why don't we encourage that more? Right. Because like you said, it actually makes you more productive. You are more efficient. You are, you have more energy. You're more motivated. You make less mistakes. 
I mean, like you said, why isn't everybody doing this? Oh, and it's just because our work, I think it, you know, historically and socially and culturally, our workplaces tend to be a place of not fun. But True. he talks about this a lot in the book. And again, I just, I can't remember which principle it's in. And it's it's hard because the way this book is laid out is it's almost like chapters within chapters. So within, mm-hmm. within each principle, there's, you know, like seven or 10, like mini chapters, like in each chapter of the principles. And a lot of them are referencing studies. And so we apologize for not being able to go into every single one, but we're going to do our best. But he makes but a- that's why you should read the book. Yes. Or do the audio. The audio is actually phenomenal yeah. as well because he's the one who narrates it and it's it's just great. Um, mm. But he talks about, you know, this is why Google has scooters inside their building and they have a massage parlor and they have, you know, pool and pinball tables inside their building so that if anyone needs a creative break, they can go and do it. They can go ride a scooter and have fun. They could go mm-hmm. play pool with a friend really quick they can go get a massage to relax right this is why yahoo um has a professional chef at their at their headquarters and so you know these are why like some of these really tech companies have all these things i think he even talked about the um founder of patagonia had a um oh i'm gonna mess this up because i can't remember the exact wording but he had a policy and it was called the surf anytime policy or something of that nature and it was Mm -hmm. anytime that you had an idea or if you just needed a break, you were able to go and grab any of the surfboards from the surfboard employee closet, which is (laughs) so funny to say, right? It's so Patagonia. And you're able to go grab one and go surfing. And there was no time limit. It wasn't like you have 15 minutes to go surf and then come back and you got to work really hard till 5 p.m. and leave. It was not like that because they understood and they understand, I should say, because they still do these things. They understand the importance of fun and the direct link to creativity and productivity. Yeah. And that's why they're winning, right? Mm-hmm. That's why Google is what it is. That's why Yahoo is what it is. That's why all these big tech companies are flourishing because they understand. Yes. And a lot of us just don't. Like a lot of these companies think if I just got to make people work harder or you should work harder or you should do this or let's throw a pizza party when all in reality, adults just want to be treated as adults. Yes. Amen. Yes. So how do we capitalize on the happiness advantage, Mariah? Wow. Thank you, Jen. There are seven tips um, in this (laughs) first principle, the happiness advantage that he recommends that we do to help lift our mood. And so these tips, I'm just going to name them off um, pretty quickly, and then we can go a little bit into each one. So the first tip is meditate. The second tip is find something to look forward to, even if it's small. The third tip is commit conscious acts of kindness. The fourth tip is infuse positivity into your surroundings. The fifth tip is exercise. The sixth tip is spend money, but not on stuff. And the seventh tip is exercise a signature strength. Mm. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. You want to kick us off, Jen? Sure. So with the first one, meditate. Um, Now, I have to admit, I I don't meditate. I I don't meditate either. I'll be the first to admit it. I've tried. I really Um, should. (laughs) Yeah, I really have tried. However, okay, um, as a woman of faith, I do pray. And if I am kind of trying to, okay, how can I apply this to myself and my life? 
that's going to swap meditate for pray. Right. Um, I feel like it serves the same purpose. I feel like I'm getting the same benefit out of it because I think to me, you know, meditation is, is just focusing less on the self. And so that's what I try to do when I pray. And that, that is something that I could even call it one of my priming methods for in the morning. It's something I do every single morning and it really does set up the rest of my day. Um, so do you have any experiences with meditation? Oh, you know, I don't Jen, (laughs) (laughs) I will be so honest. I probably really do need to meditate because I know that I specifically would benefit from it. I mean, arguably, I think everybody would, but speaking for myself, because I can, I can go like a hummingbird, like Mm -hmm. I I just flutter. And I think Mm -hmm. every time I've tried to meditate, I've been like sitting there trying to think nothing or just really just to be in tune with maybe my own breath. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have not eaten at Whataburger. I'd love to go eat Whataburger. When's the last time I ate that? And then I'd be like, oh, did I buy that person a gift? And like, it's just so hard for me to come back. But that is the whole <laughs> point, right? The whole point of meditating. He talked about, you know, meditating to help move, like lift your mood, even if it's just for five minutes a day. And it really is to give you a different perspective than right. what you're currently in. So if you're stressed out, you know, work is popping off or your personal life is popping off and you're super stressed. Basically, the meditation is supposed to help you gain perspective again. Mm -hmm. You're just supposed to take a moment to relax because when you're in that stress mode, your body is doing chemical reactions that are basically like putting you into more of a stress mode. So it's just to take you back from that and and calm your mind and start over, which I should do more. Um, I definitely don't. But I do do number two. Which is find something to look forward to, even if it's small. And Mm -hmm. so he talked about whether it's a vacation or going to have dinner with a friend, or even if it's going to sit on the couch at the end of a hard day with your spouse, partner, best friend, whatever it is, animals to watch a movie, whatever it is, right? Just to have something really small to look forward to every single day, every week, every month. Yes. Um, And, you know, it's funny because for me, actually uh, working on this podcast is something that I've been looking forward to. And there are moments that just thinking about that has gotten me through some difficult times over the past couple of months, you know, Um, really ever since we first started talking about it and just knowing that we were going to do this um, definitely gave me a shot of positivity. Oh, I love that. Jen, oh my gosh. Don't make me emotional in front of the entire world. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Probably like five people will listen to this right now. And like one of them is my mom and the other one's my husband. And he probably might make like listen to like the first five minutes. (laughs) He won't listen to the rest. (laughs) What you should do right now is ask him a specific (laughs) question and see if he'll answer. (laughs) Well, if you made it here, let me know. Okay. And we're moving on to number three, commit conscious acts of kindness. I actually, I guess I don't do this consciously. I think there are times where I like subconsciously will like do something for someone, but I don't look at it as like a small act. I'm just like doing something for someone. Mm -hmm. And so, and he kind of talks about like making sure that when you go to do a kind act for someone, 
it's conscious. Like you don't look back at the end of your day and you're like, oh, I did three things that were kind of nice. So those count, but it's like, no, you go into something knowing you're going to do a kind act. And so we talked about picking one day out of the week to do this. And then you do like three things, whether that's open a door for someone. He talked about how he likes to um, pay the toll, the toll bill for someone mm-hmm. behind him, which is like $2 or something like that um, while he's commuting, just small things like that. And and to do it consciously, because when you do it, there's an immediate effect on you and even the person that you're doing it for usually. Um, mm-hmm. And I read too that not only that, but like, say like you're doing, you do this nice act for someone. And so it benefits you. It benefits the person that you're doing the act for, but it can also affect anybody who witnesses it. That's so true. And and that is really cool. Um, So I'm going to share a little bit and like listeners, however many of you there are, I know that we just met, but um, I am somebody who wears my heart on my sleeve and I will talk about some really vulnerable things very quickly. (laughs) Um, So for me, what this made me think of um, in 2010, my sister died of an accidental overdose. She was 22. And for the first several years on the anniversary of her death, I would not really get out of bed. Basically, it was a very, very difficult day. And my husband reminded me that that is not what she would have wanted for me. Hmm. And so what I chose to do for several years is on the anniversary of her death, I would go around and do intentional acts of kindness in her honor. Hmm. And so that helped me tremendously because instead of lying in bed and just feeling terrible and, you know, I mean, I was in a pit, you know, just, just lying in a pit instead, I would actually get excited. I would get excited and I wouldn't even necessarily, you know, plan out a bunch of things. Sometimes I I would plan a few things. So I had some sort of direction, but honestly, there were times when I would just say, you know what, God, whatever it is that you want me to do today, just put it in front of me. Just, just put in front of me what it is that you want me to do. And I would spend the whole day doing that instead. And I can't tell you how much it transformed that date for me, you know? So well, one, thank you for sharing that with us, <laughs> Jen. Seriously, we feel very honored. Um, mm-hmm. And two, it just really shows the power of your mindset. Absolutely. A whole mindset shift took mm-hmm. you to a whole different place and, and even viewing of, of that specific event. And it's, it's so funny that, or actually really cool that you said that because it reminded me, I was watching the news probably a few weeks ago. Yeah. Cause it was around Christmas time. It was before Christmas. Um, and, um, a mom's daughter had died from cancer and after her daughter died, she actually found, um, a, a bucket list that her daughter had and she was going through the oh, currently wow. going through the bucket list before she had gotten diagnosed with cancer and it took a lot of energy from her. And so the mom said that to help her very similarly, she was like, I just couldn't breathe. I couldn't mm-hmm. get out of bed. I couldn't do anything. Like I just, I just couldn't do it. But when she found this list, she just had a complete mindset change 
And she was like, I'm going to finish this list. And so one mm-hmm. of one of the things on the list was to um, be a salvation bell ringer during Christmas. And so she did. And then the cool part was that she shared this with her social media. And then all of her daughter's friends started volunteering and going out to be bell ringers. So it it really does play into, you know, this is just not a bunch of mumbo jumbo. It, it really plays into that. Your mind is unbelievably extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. And if you let it, if you want to, it could literally change how you view the world, right? Because your mm-hmm. perspective becomes your reality. So, so many of us view the world in a lens, whether it's negative or positive, and how you view the world becomes your reality. So we could look at the same situation and get two different things out of it if you're a positive person and a negative person, but it's the exact mm-hmm. same situation. But the thing is, it's how you view it. It's the lens Absolutely. that you see the world. And so this could truly without being overdramatic, it just could truly <laughs> change your life. Yeah. We have not even made it to number four, which we are getting to. So, so far it's meditate, find something to look forward to, commit conscious acts of kindness. Number four is infuse positivity into your surroundings. So AKA go outside, go mm. if the weather is nice, go for a five to 10 minute walk. If, if, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's around your work building, if you're a stay at home mom, um, put those kids in some type of wheel thing, whether it's a wagon, a stroller and just go for a walk, right? Just get outside. Yes. It could instantly change your mood. Absolutely. Yes. And <laughs> it's going to sound so funny because it's like so opposite of that, but like, um, and I do do that, right? I will, I will take, um, a little walk if I need to. And, and especially if, if the, if the weather is good, especially if the sun is out, but so, something else that I will do that for me is really positive is taking a little nap. <laughs> hey, see, I'm not one of those. Like I am a, a three hour napper, basically a hibernate. So mm. I just, I'm not one of those like 30 minute power nappers. I'm a power napper. Yeah. Y'all are, that's a superpower. I really, I really don't understand how y'all can do that. Cause it's, it's I need to wake up and not know what year it is. So (laughs) the fact that you can do 30 minutes is really a superpower to me. (laughs) Like I need to not know who I am, what year it is. Forget I had a child. You have to like wake up and look like Kevin McAllister. A hundred percent. If I don't look like Kevin McAllister and I wake up from my nap, I don't want it. Yeah. Don't want it. This also could look like putting pictures of your loved ones at your work desk. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be, you know, like putting, I don't know, just like decorating your office, putting a vision board in front of you so that when you're working, you, there is a physical reminder and anchor to tie you to why you are doing the work that you're doing. Um, if you're a stay-at-home mom, this could be maybe just like putting pictures while you're cooking. I mean, I there's so many things that you can do very quickly. There's a story where a mom had to, her daughter had a really, really, really severe um, autoimmune disease and she only had to eat certain things. And it was, I mean, it was really severe. Like they only, she, her daughter only had to eat stuff that was made at home. And it took this mom hours to cook food for her because she had to cook breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and had to be separate from all the, I mean, it was just a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And one day, her daughter wrote and her, I think her daughter was like six or seven and her daughter wrote on a, um, 
on a piece of paper that she didn't find until after she had dropped the kids off at school. And it said, work hard for me today, mom. Thank you for all the food. Love Macy. Her name was Macy. And she said she taped that like in her kitchen because she had to remind herself, like, you know, in the midst of like, unless you're, you know, some person who just loves to cook, she had to remind herself in the midst of you know being in the kitchen for hours on why she was doing it. And so that's kind of what it talks about, like infusing positivity into your surroundings is, is it's either going outside for a walk, putting stuff in your office, keeping a picture in your wallet. It can be whatever it is. Cause not all of us work in an office, right? Some people like, you know, pilots fly. So maybe be like putting a picture of your family in your pocket. Um, stay at home homes are everywhere. So it's just whatever it is to you. That's yeah. That's and, that and, or if your employer allows, bring your dog to work. Yes, which a lot of companies do do because they have they found do. that it makes you more proficient and relaxed when you're working. That's because great. as it says in the book, most, if not all, of creativity and your greatest ideas and productivity will come from a relaxed mindset. When you yeah. are stressed, there's there's no good ideas happening when you're stressed. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know that. I don't even think we have to elaborate into that because you've all yeah. felt it. You've all done something really stupid while you're stressed. <laughs> that I like might've just brought up and triggered because I know I have. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. So number five, exercise. I mean, full stop right there. Exercise. We all know it. We don't all do it. Exercise. Again, looks different for everybody. It could be, a, you could start off going for walks. It could be lifting weights, could be yeah. rowing, could be surfing. It could be whatever, but just moving yeah. your body has. I only thought of that scene in Legally Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> About how exercise creates endorphins. Endorphins <laughs> make you feel good. When you feel good, you don't kill your husband. <laughs> you know, culture. I totally butchered that, but that's what it made me think of. Pop culture at its finest right there. You will not get anything better from us than that. <laughs> I want to make sure we're setting expectations. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that is us. Um, Number six is spend money and not on stuff. So you spend money on experiences specifically. That's what he's talking about because buying stuff actually doesn't make you happy. And I'm sure you've realized that by now you're happy for like 0.5 seconds and then you just want more. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you or if you're once. someone like me, you feel incredibly guilty immediately and then you turn around and return it. Exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't, right, you know, it, really buying stuff, owning stuff doesn't actually make you feel better. It, it really, actually, I am in a spot right now where I'm trying to get rid of as much as I can because I have found that at the end of the day, if there's stuff that I have to like clean, just like more stuff that I have to take care of that really doesn't like, benefit me like decor and things like that I don't really need it because it Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day it's just more things for me to take care of after I've been with my you know working all day got my son down cooked dinner did all the things I'm just tired so I don't want to have to clean anymore so I'm kind of in this space where I'm like I just want to get rid Mm -hmm. I understand yes but yes spend money on experiences not things yes love that and then number seven Exercise a signature strength, which means you do something that you are good at. Yeah. Which is really fun. So if you know that you're good at encouraging people, encourage someone. If you are, he kind of talked about also doing something maybe that's old that you're good at. And one thing that popped up for me in my mind was that 
apparently, apparently this is niche and I did not know this, but <laughs> in my elementary school had a jump rope team. Oh, and I was on the jump rope team. So your girl can jump rope. Okay. I did not know this. So then in my adult years, as I brought this up to people, I got a lot of weird looks. And that's when I was like, this probably is not mainstream then that everybody <laughs> was on the jump rope team. And I did not have a jump rope team. <laughs> See, So for me, it kind of like brought up like a really fun memory because I was like, maybe I should jump rope. It sounds so silly, but it's so nostalgic. And it's something I know I'm good at and I haven't done it in years. So I'm like, man, I should get a jump rope. And just like when I'm feeling stressed. Just go out there and do a little routine for the whole neighborhood. Well, there you go. And I feel like you're going to hit three of these at once, right? You're exercising <laughs> a signature strength. You're exercising <laughs> and you're infusing positivity into your surroundings. <laughs> I don't know if the surroundings would be appreciative of my um, <laughs> if my little jump rope routine, but well, I you never still know. remember. So. You never know. So kind of to wrap up on um, yeah. this first principle the last thing I wanted to bring up was the Lasada line, mm, yeah. which, base, which talked about the negative to positive interaction ratio. So for every one negative interaction you have, whether it's at work and personal lives, this again, this is across the board, you need 2.9013 positive reactions to counteract it. So basically three. So for every one negative interaction, you need to have three positive which if you're thinking about personal relationships or your work environment, you might be in the negatives, right? You're mm. like, you might you might be way, way, way far down based off of where you work or if there's a specific like relationship that you have in mind with this. So really the thing is, is that we can't make other people treat us positively. Mm-hmm. We just can't. I can't. Yeah, it'd be I great can't. if we could, but we can't. It would. It'd be so awesome. I, 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 but I can't control someone else. I mean, I have a hard time controlling myself at times. <laughs> so really what this is speaking to is that being able to find the small things that are positive, even amongst the negative, right? And they might not be huge. They might be really small, but it's it's training your brain to scan for those positive things to right. basically counteract those negative interactions that you had, which can be really, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It can be very hard. Sure. If you're in a, in a hard work environment, if you're in a hard relationship, or if you're, I don't know, whatever it is that you're applying this to, it can be very, very, very hard to get out of the negatives. Again, the happy news is that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think even if you just kind of take a little bit of time, maybe, um, you know, you leave work, you get in your car. And maybe you just sit there for a few minutes and you just try to think of at least one good thing because then that's a baby step, right? Like I know it says that you need three, but maybe like you're, like you said, you're way in the negatives. Just start with one, find the one positive thing that happened that day. And it will over time train your brain to start looking for those. Yeah. I agree. So this brings us into principle two, um, which is the fulcrum and the lever. And before I get fully into this, guys, we are going to wrap up principle two, and then we will, in our next episode, finish up the rest of the principles, because obviously we are getting into time and we want to be very conscious of yours. 
So yes, we don't want to okay. be sitting here, you know, as you're getting into dinner time now and you're like, okay, guys, where is this going? Yes. And also we do want to like try to give as the principals as much time as we can. Now, again, there's so much more than what we're even saying or even touching in the book. So I highly recommend that you listen to it or read it because it's so, so, so good. Um, but we'll go into principle number two, which is the fulcrum and the lever. And if you're like me, you have no idea what a fulcrum is. Okay. And I was probably like three paragraphs into this principle. And I was like, what the heck is a fulcrum? Because he did not say it. So for those of you who are like me and not like Jen, because Jen knew, (laughs) I'm going, I looked at the definition for you. So here you go. So a fulcrum is a thing that plays a central or essential role in an activity, event, or situation. And so in this case, he uses the example of a seesaw. And how the fulcrum is the middle of the seesaw that keeps it balanced. But if you move it to the right, it tends to lean. You move it to the left, it goes the other way. So as you move the center, it moves what happens. Yes. Thank you, Mariah. Yes. (laughs) Because I had no clue what this guy was talking about. And I was like, wow, he really... He really had faith in us on that one, didn't he? <laughs> but we did not know that. Um, so this principle basically talks about how we can use our mindset as power to mm-hmm. change. And kind of what we touched about in prince in the in our first principle to change your reality or to or to use your power to change how you see things, view things. And because of that, it can increase your productivity, make your personal relationships so much better. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yes. So like the way that I put it, because like, you know, um, in my notes, I wrote the fulcrum is our mindset and the lever is the potential power and possibility we believe that we have. Mm. Again, it comes down to the mindset and the potential and the possibility and what we believe. So it's how we can adjust our way of thinking to give us the power to be more fulfilled and therefore successful. Oh my gosh, right. that's so good. I'm I did underline a few things that goes right along with what you said and I'm just going to read it because I can't say it better than what he says. But he says in other words, while we of course can't change reality through sheer force of will alone, We can use our brain to change how we process the world. And that in turn changes how we react to it. Happiness is not about lying to ourselves or turning a blind eye to the negative, but adjusting our brain so that we see the ways to rise above our circumstances. And this is huge, guys, because I have been told before in the past that because I was happy, they didn't like... I had a friend who who didn't know me super well, but as he got to know me, he was like, wow, Mariah, because you were always so happy all the time, I honestly didn't know that like you could be a realist Mm. because I was so happy all the time. Like there's this like, there's this general, I guess, connotation or whatever you want to call it that if you are a happy person, you're stupid. Or if you're, and I don't think my friend was calling me that. I'm just using that as an example. But if you're a happy person, you're stupid. Or if you're a happy person, then you obviously don't see reality. Or if you're a happy person, then you're just walking around life with rose colored glasses. 
and you don't know what's actually happening in this world. And it's that's not the case. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. for some people, right? But what we're talking about specifically here, like that's not the kind of happiness that we're talking about. What we're what we're trying to say is that you see these things, you recognize them, and despite of them, in spite of them, you are still able to choose a positive mindset and yes. to rise above it. Yes, I agree completely. Um, I, I've had the same thing happen to me. You know, people see that I'm a pretty happy person a lot, and they think that you know. I think it's hilarious that people think I, you know, haven't had any real life experience, which could not be further from the truth. Oh yeah, and, um, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go through more episodes and more books. And trust me, um, there's almost nothing that's off the table. So you'll hear about it. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but in this principle, also, one thing that I loved was something that he called the, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, the Pygmalion effect, mm. um, which is, um, this is on page 84, and it says it's it's when our belief in another person's potential brings that potential to life, which is incredible. It's so powerful. He goes into this whole um, explanation. They did this study where they took a teacher of these young kids and they told the teacher, hey, this particular group of kids, um, they're really good at such and such. I think it was like reading or something, which wasn't actually true. That's just what they told the teacher and they didn't, the teacher didn't even really do anything different, but because she had this belief that these particular kids were really good at this particular thing, they got better at it. They got really good at it Mm -hmm. because of the teacher's belief in them, which is incredible. So in other words, our belief in someone's potential can cause us to treat them differently. Mm-hmm. And what if we treated others as though they were already the person we knew that they had the potential to become? Yeah. And what if we treated ourselves? Think about how that could, yeah. I mean, we could do it to ourselves. We could do it with our kids. We could do it with our spouses. We could do it with, I mean, anybody around us. That's, in, that's so cool. <laughs> yes. No, I, I can. And that's what this whole principle is about is, is using that power. To, to truly change what you think you are capable of or the people around you are yes. capable of. And I love this because I'm going to use this a lot with my personal work um, because I am in charge of, you know, trying to help other people reach their goals. And sometimes you are the reason why you can't reach your goal. It's not outside mm-hmm. circumstances. It's your mindset. It's you thinking that you can't do it because you're just bad at it. Or you thinking that like, oh, you got rejected once. I don't want to go back in there. But in all reality, you are the person who's keeping you from doing great things. Yeah. If you can only believe in yourself. And again, that sounds like it should be on the back of a cereal box, right? Like it just, (laughs) it sounds so like mumbo jumbo. It sounds so basic common sense, but it's so true. And I want to read another thing that underlined and said, What I realized, so he's talking about the seesaw effect, about the fulcrum and the lever and what we talked about. And he said, what I realized is that our brains work in precisely the same way. Our power to maximize our potential is based on two important things. The the length of our lever, which is how much potential power and possibility we believe we have. And two, the position of our fulcrum, the mindset in which we generate the power to change. 
Mm. Huge. Two things right there from this principle, if you get anything, is it comes down to how much power and possibility you think you have within you. And two, the mindset in which you generate to use that power to change. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. It's just a lot to think about because I think a lot of us can get stuck in limiting beliefs about ourselves. I can't lose the weight. I can't read that many books. I can't get my degree. I can't, you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't, I can't. And I'm not saying the things that are around you, maybe making those possibilities more difficult, aren't real, right? Having to Mm -hmm. work two jobs or whatever it is, right? Knowing that there are things probably in your life that are making you to achieve, making it harder for you to achieve that goal. But it's possible if you believe in yourself, which is just nuts. (laughs) Honestly, it's, and I mean, you see it a lot too in, you know, when, when they do um, studies uh, on a potential new prescription drug, right. And they have like a, a control group that's given a placebo, the power of that placebo can actually heal people sometimes, which is wild. Yes. And he does talk about that in the book about several um, different studies that use a placebo effect and that people just thought that they were taking medicine and they physically yes. got better. But yes. really it was like a sugar pill or it was just, it was something that had no effect other than maybe raising their blood sugar level, like just a little <laughs> yeah. bit, but that is the power of the mind right? We have this within us. Like our mind can do so much and we sell ourselves short all the time on what we are able to do. But if you only Mm -hmm. believed in yourself, what could you accomplish truly? And on page 76, um, I kind of, I'm going to read a whole paragraph and I hope that's okay. Cause again, I, I just don't think I can say this better than him. And I promise we'll be wrapping up this one in a little bit, but it's just so good. So it says, leveraging intelligence is page 76. More important still than believing in your own ability is believing that you can improve these abilities. Few people have proven this theory more convincingly than Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck, whose studies show that whether or not someone believes in their intelligence is changeable directly affects their achievement. Dweck found that people can split into two categories, those with a fixed mindset believe that their capabilities are already set, while those with a growth mindset believe that they can enhance their basic qualities through effort. A growth mindset is not dismissive of innate ability. It merely recognizes, as Dweck explains, that although people may differ in every which way in their initial talents and aptitudes, interests, or or temperance, everyone can change and grow through application and experience. Her research has shown that people with fixed mindsets miss choice opportunities for improvement and consistently underperform, while those with a growth mindset watch their abilities move ever upward. Yeah, she actually wrote a book called Mindset, and it was oh, all goodness. about that. Yeah, so I, maybe maybe that's something we can cover down the road. I read it years ago. Um, and I don't, I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember the the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And uh, yeah, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. 
I mean, it's true. It's, it's one or the other, you know, maybe that's something you ask yourself. Do you have a growth mindset or do you have a fixed mindset? The cool Mm -hmm. part is you have a growth mindset. That means that you're probably doing really well at work. Um, not because you're just some superhero, but because you believe you can do better. You look at a task and you say, I can do this no matter how big it is or stressful it is. Um, if you have a fixed mindset, the cool part again, is that you can get there. You can Mm -hmm. change from having a fixed mindset to a growth mindset just takes work. Right. Um, and what, you know, they kind of go on later. He goes later on in the book and he talks about how, um, you can use your fulcrum and lever to find your calling. And so people, they did a, a study on people with their jobs and there's three categories where people really viewed themselves in their job. And one was when people looked at their job as just a job, they collect mm-hmm. a paycheck and they go home. People who look at their job as a career and then people who looked at their job as a calling, mm-hmm. which you could spend a whole <laughs> episode (laughs) just talking about that yes because that has a huge way on how you view your job and how you perform in it is how you look at it is it a job is it a career or is it a calling and Mm -hmm. so it talked about you know those who view their jobs as a calling tend to be more positive and they feel more connected to the work that they're doing and and again, this is page 78 and 79. You could really get into the nitty gritty, but I just looked at one paragraph specifically. Um, and I put it, it says in my consulting work with companies, I encourage employees to rewrite their job description and to what Tal Ben Shahar, which is um his mentors and another psychologist, calls a calling description. I have them think about how the same tasks might be written in a way that would entice others to apply for the job. The goal is to not misrepresent the work that they do, but to highlight the meaning that can be derived from it. Then I ask them to think of their own personal goals in life. How can their current jobs task be connected to this larger purpose? Researchers have found that even the smallest tasks can be imbued with greater meaning when they are connected to personal goals and values. The more we can align our daily tasks with our personal vision, the more likely we are going to see work as a calling. And I thought that was cool because it it could be personal life or it could be work. Like if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're just like, you know, in the everyday of laundry, dishes, whatever it is, you can sometimes sit there and be like, this is a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't like, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's a lot. I feel so alone. You know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. So this is for anyone, you know, for stay-at-home moms, you can sit there and think about all the daily tasks that you do that just seem so boring, right? Washing dishes, clothes, packing lunches, whatever it is. And then you can further describe those into how what they mean and what they do for your kids. Yeah. And then as you go down your list, all of a sudden you're like, wait, this is a calling. And you can do that's a work, personal life, whatever it is. It's again, it's just a complete change of mindset on on how you view your reality becomes your reality. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about how you perceive things. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't have much left on this principle, Jen, unless you have some save saved rounds. No, (laughs) no. I mean, I have, you know, I took some notes too, but I think we actually took a lot of similar notes, um, which really was, you know, so like affirming in the fact that we were meant to do this together because (laughs) 
we just seem to be on the same page a lot. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. uh, Yeah. So this will be the end of part one of the happiness advantage. Um, And the next episode, we are going to finish up. I know it sounds crazy because we've only gotten through two principles and you're like, holy crap, there's five more. We'll make it speedier. (laughs) I understand. But (laughs) I think the first two, we just had so much more that we pulled from it. And we don't have as much from the remaining five. That doesn't mean they're not valuable. They are. Trust me, I still want you to read the book. But we are going to go into um, that in the next episode. So um, thank you so much, guys, for sticking with us. If you're still listening, we're thrilled. <laughs> thank you for the five people who have probably made it this far. <laughs> yes, we we love you so much. You're our people. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Books and Becoming. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and found inspiration in the book's wisdom. If you want more, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Yes, please leave us a five-star review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., all of those places, they love five-star reviews. It honestly doesn't even matter what you say. You could literally just tell us what your favorite color is in the review and it will still help our ranking. In fact, tell your friends to do the same. But if you didn't like it, you can totally just keep that to yourself. So keep reading, keep becoming. Until next time, see y'all later. Happy reading.